So what do we talk about on today's episode? Well, today is part one of five that you're going to stick around more because I've been trying to get everybody to read this book to realize how much power they would have in their life and their business if they use this book. But nobody listened. So what did I decide to do? I decided to summarize the entire book and break it down section by section on a five-part series on the podcast. Today is part one, how to make sure that every part of your messaging, your marketing, and every relationship in your life ensures that people only move one step closer to you rather than creating reactants and getting them to run. So without further ado, let's cue the intro and get into the episode. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Mind of George Show. And today... Uh, we're about to get crazy. We're going to dive in. We're going to get to work. We're going to start learning because today is episode one of a five-part series that I'm recording to be released on Mondays to help blow your mind when it comes to customer journey. So I make book recommendations. I tell people what to read, but most of the time they don't read it. And then they get to a point where they're stuck and stuck again. And then I start referencing said book and then they still don't read it. And so I just said, fuck it. I'm going to talk about the book, I'm going to teach you about the book, and I'm going to give you the number one most powerful business marketing book, customer journey book that exists that I've read in my entire lifetime, and I read a lot of books, and today, I'm going to break it down in part one of five. So in part one today, I'm going to be covering the first big, big, big roadblock in how to change somebody's mind, i.e. how to get somebody to convert, how to get somebody to sign up, how to get somebody to opt in. And we're going to go through this entire book. So the book that we're talking about is The Catalyst by Jonah Berger. Now, if you've read it, read it again. If you've read it twice, read it again. Until you can memorize the book and know every ounce of it and how it applies, keep reading it. This is one of those books that belongs in your arsenal as a repeat read over and over and over again. And so this morning... I've been taking notes, going through, scouring the internet, reading other people's reviews, and getting it down to distill it down to the most powerful parts of you. I've written some of it. I grabbed some of it from a website called 15-Minute Business Books and another one called LorenHunsey.com, and they all share the same similar ideas that I've been talking about and sharing, but I'll give some credibility since Jonah Berger is one of the smartest marketing minds of our lifetime because he studies it scientifically from the human psychology side, not from the conversion side. And so this book is incredible. And I actually attribute probably 95% of my customer journey success and being able to do what I do because of how this book helped me understand customer journey, customer psychology, and how to actually create things that move the needle, i.e. to become a catalyst for people to change. And so I'm stoked to get into this. I have notes in front of me. I'm going to go through. And I highly recommend that as you listen to these podcasts over the next couple of months as I release them, that you buy the book and you read along with it. You listen to the podcast and then you go find that chapter in the book. You read the chapter and you take it and you apply that chapter to your business because information without implementation is just a waste of time. So get the information, implement it into your business. Now, before we get started, in typical George fashion, I want you to take a breath. But today you can keep your eyes open. 
but I just want you to take one intentional deep breath to be present in this moment. In through your nose, out through your nose, in through your mouth, out through your mouth, whatever you choose, but I want you to choose intentionally. So here we go. Three, two, one. God, it already feels amazing. So I have one ask before we get going. The podcast has been growing. People are listening to it and I love it. And I thank you so much. I don't have sponsors on this show. I don't get paid to do this show. I do this show because I love doing this show and because I love helping you. But the way that I get paid back is when you share this show, when you have your friends subscribe, when you send episodes to them, when you leave me reviews. And so I have a very selfish ask before today's show is that if you could, could you please send this show to a friend, ask them to subscribe and leave a review if you have not, because it actually matters and it makes a very drastic difference for us. And so from the bottom of my heart, I want to give you a thank you in advance for doing it. So let's get into the book, The Catalyst, okay? So have you ever changed your mind? Have you ever shifted your thinking a little bit, a whole lot? Have you ever been persuaded to buy a product or service? Maybe a product or service you didn't even know that you needed. From the earliest days around thought of communication, we have always been interested in how to persuade others. One wording for the definition of rhetoric from the classical genius Aristotle was, rhetoric is the art of finding the available means of persuasion. And he recommended three primary means of persuasion. He recommended the logos, which is the logical appeal. That means that your message makes sense. It is logical in reasoning. Then he recommended the pathos, and the pathos is the emotional appeal. That means that your appeal stirs the emotions of your audience, pointing in the direction of your message, and you demonstrate emotion in the delivery of your message. And then the third one that Aristotle spoke about was the ethos, and the ethos was the ethical appeal. You come across as credible, you know your stuff, you are trustworthy, and you come across as trustworthy. You do not seek to mislead. Though we do not know the source of the fourth, there is also a fourth appeal. Someone near contemporary of Aristotle and a fourth means of persuasion. And the fourth means of persuasion is the mythos, which is the narrative appeal. Your use of stories, your inclusion of the audience into the ongoing story can be a very persuasive tool. And this is critical because no one of the four is likely to get the job done. It's a combination of the four that is needed to create change. And those four, again, are the logos, the pathos, the ethos, and the mythos. The logos is the logical appeal. The pathos is the emotional appeal. The ethos is the ethical appeal. And the mythos is the narrative appeal. All of this is ancient wisdom. It's been around for a long time. It's been written about, it's been talked about. And yet, people still do not change their minds very often. And a whole lot of experts and a whole lot of money and a whole lot of research for a whole lot of many a years have gone in with their very best effort to try to succeed at persuading others as often as they would like. And here's one reason that the author of this book, as well as everybody who reviewed the book, as well as myself have come to, is that we are fully convinced that persuasion is not something that I do to you or that you do to me. Persuasion is something that I do to myself and you do to yourself. In other words, all persuasion is self-persuasion. And that idea 
that all persuasion is really self-persuasion is an idea worth keeping on the top of your mind. Because if it's true, which I wholeheartedly believe it's true, because it is single-handedly the biggest reason I've had success, how does one persuade others? Well, maybe we don't. Maybe we simply act as a good catalyst for that other person to help them persuade himself or herself. And that, my friends, is why my business is branded as a lighthouse. Because as a lighthouse continues to sign its light, it's not saying, turn towards me, come here, you see my light, you have to come. It is shining its light consistently and congruently until the person decides that that's the path to go. And so in The Catalyst, the book explains why persuasion is so very difficult. It explains why so many messages that are attempted messages of persuasion practically have no chance of working. And it provides some strategies to make persuasion possible while demonstrating that all persuasion is self-persuasion. And then before I get into the first part of the book, which probably only take me about 10 minutes to go through. So today's episode might be 20, 25 minutes. And then the following episodes will be a little bit shorter as we break down the five phases, which we're going to get into. But I love some of these excerpts from the book. Number one, before people will change, they have to be willing to listen. They have to trust the person they're communicating with. And until that happens, no amount of persuasion is going to work. Beautiful, beautiful point. Number two, Change is hard because people tend to overvalue what they have. Everyone is worried about the risk of doing something new, so they tend to spend less time thinking about something equally important, the risks of doing nothing. Number three, when the status quo is terrible, it's easy to get people to switch. They're willing to change because inertia isn't a viable option. But when things aren't terrible or are just okay, but not great, it's harder to get people to change. Terrible things get replaced, but mediocre things stick around. And then one more thought from the book. If we just share more evidence, list more reasons, or put together the right deck, people will switch. But just as often as this blows up in our faces, rather than shifting perspectives, people dig in their heels. And when they dig in their heels, it is called reactants. And reactance is what we're going to cover today. And so it's very important that you understand that our job is to be the catalyst. To catalyst means to remove the barriers to change, to identify what is blocking or preventing change, and then eliminating these obstacles to action. So what is a catalyst? What does a catalyst do? Well, a catalyst's job is to facilitate change. So let's think about chemists. Chemists often use a special set of substances. These unsung heroes clean the exhaust in your car or the grime on your contact lenses. They turn air into fertilizer and petroleum into bike helmets. They speed change, enabling molecules that might take years to interact to do so in seconds. That's what a catalyst is. And so when we are trying to change somebody's mind, 99% of us focus on some version of pushing, right? We present facts and evidence. We explain my reasons. We try to convince people our common ways in which we do this. And we are so focused on our desired outcome that we're consumed on how we can push people in that direction. But along the way, we tend to forget about the person whose mind we are trying to change. And that's what's stopping them. 
Because rather than asking what might convince someone to change, catalysts start with a more basic question. Why hasn't the person changed already? What is blocking them? And so this book by Jonah Berger, his framework is incredible. And so I want you to remember the word reduce and I want you to write it down or take notes on it. So what does reduce stand for? Reduce stands for reactance, endowment, distance, uncertainty, and cooperating evidence, which he calls the five horsemen of inertia. And today we're going to talk about reactants. These five key areas or these five key roadblocks are what hinder or inhibit change. And so the five ways to be a catalyst can be organized into that acronym. So write it down. It can be reduce, reactants, endowment, distance, uncertainty, and cooperating evidence. And so in a sentence, we need to reduce reactants, ease endowment, shrink the distance, alleviate uncertainty, and find cooperating evidence. And so let me take a sip of coffee. And now let's get into reactants, okay? So reactants, pushing, telling, or just encouraging people often makes them less likely to do it. This is what reaction is, reactance is. When people are pushed, they push back. Just like a missile defense system protects against incoming projectiles, people have an innate anti-persuasion system. They have a radar that kicks in when they sense someone is trying to convince them. To lower this barrier, catalysts encourage people to persuade themselves. And so you can see this in your own day and age. Think about how many cold DMs you get. And immediately somebody adds you as a friend, they send you a DM pitching. Does it open you up, make you happy, or does it immediately make you defensive to attack back, right? That's because there was no relationship. There was no open. It was a push. And when pushed, we push back. And so restriction generates a psychological phenomenon called reactance. And reactance is an unpleasant state that occurs when people feel their freedom is lost or threatened. Now, we know as human beings, all of us listen to this, that change can be hard. Change is hard. We persuade and we cajole pressure and push. But even after all that work, nothing moves. Things change at a glacial pace if they change at all. And people like to feel like they have control over their choices and their actions. That they have the freedom to drive their own behaviors. And when someone comes along, a marketing message, an ad, an email, a video, a webinar, a VSL, or someone comes and threatens or restricts that freedom, people get upset. So when you tell somebody that they can't or shouldn't do something, it interferes with their autonomy, which is their ability to see their actions as driven by themselves. So what do they do? They push back. They get defensive. It's like a caged animal. It triggers their sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight. And in that situation, people can only do one thing, which is fight. This happens in emails. It happens in ads. It happens in social media messages. It happens all the time. And so they push back, right? So who are you to tell me I can't text while driving or walk my dog on that pristine patch of grass? I can do whatever I want. For those of you that have kids, I have a five-year-old and a 17-year-old. And I learned a long time ago 
that telling my five-year-old not to do something or telling my 17-year-old not to do something does not create a desirable result. Instead, it actually creates tension because of the reactants in their bodies. And so while texting while driving might not have been that attractive originally, threatening to restrict it or take it away from somebody actually makes it more desirable. Just like if you think about somebody with food and you have someone, a spouse, a friend that has a sugar problem or an eating problem and you're supporting them and then you see them about to do something and you're like, don't you dare eat that sugar. The first thing they're going to do is want to eat it more. Don't you touch that light switch? Of course they're going to touch the light switch. It's not something they're consciously doing. It's something that's subconsciously happening that is a psychological phenomenon that occurs naturally in their body. That's what reactance is. And so you have to be aware of that so that you can create a solution to it. And in the book, Jonah Berger breaks down a ton of solutions and I'm going to share them now. And so what is the number one solution for reactance? It's to allow for agency. And this is a quote from the book. To avoid reactance and the persuasion radar, then catalysts allow for agency. Catalysts stop trying to persuade and instead get people to persuade themselves. So to reduce reactance, catalysts allow for agency, not by telling people what to do or by being completely hands-off, but by finding the middle ground, by guiding their path. And in another podcast, when I cover the distance chapter, this will make complete sense to you. So there are four key ways, four key ways to allow for agency to solve reactance, okay? And I'm gonna go through all four of them. The number one way, the number one way to solve for reactance is to provide a menu. You have to provide a menu. Because when you try to convince people to do something and they spend a lot of time counter-arguing, thinking about all the various reasons why it's a bad idea or why something else would be better, why they don't want to do what we suggested, it just digs them in further because they're fighting for that one thing. But when you give somebody multiple options, suddenly things shift. Suddenly things shift. And so actually, I will use my child as an example. No one likes to be things taken away. You go look at a three-year-old and you try to take a toy out of their hand, which don't ever do that horrible fucking parenting. They're going to pull it back and then hold on to it harder. But if you walk up to that same child and you say, and I'll use my son as an example, hey, bubbies, our time on the iPad is up just like we talked about. What would you like to do? Would you like to go to your room and read books? Do you want to go outside and play? Or do you just want to sit here and watch a show with daddy? All of a sudden, he's like, oh, daddy, iPad's gone. Let's go outside. But if I walk up to my son and I'm like, hey, bud, iPad time's done. Give me the iPad. Immediately. He has an emotional reaction because he's five and he doesn't hide it and he holds onto it tighter and he gets sad and he gets upset and then he gets dug in and tells me why he should keep his iPad. And he doesn't understand that he's doing this. It's his body taking over and doing it to him or for him because it's triggering reactants. And so when we can provide a menu, when we can provide options, when we can provide choices, it instills agency back into the person we are talking to and it allows them to drive the decision. Now, of course, we own the options. We're the ones that are actually directing and leading. We're just letting them choose their path to get there. So the number one way to eliminate reaction or reactants is to provide a menu, okay? Number two, what is the second way to reduce or eliminate reactants is ask questions. Don't tell them. 
So an easy way to remember this is ask, don't tell. Ask, don't tell, okay? Questions encourage listeners to commit to the conclusion, to behave consistently with whatever answer they gave. So rather than taking a predetermined plan and pushing it on people, catalysts do the exact opposite. They start by asking questions. They visit with stakeholders. They get their perspectives and they engage with them in the planning process. And so by asking, what you're doing is you're getting investment from the other side about how they would like to see things done. And then they are a part of the process so that when you take that information and you summarize it or spin it into a plan, they are already invested into that plan. And because a lot of us have kids, I'm going to use my five-year-old Branson as another example. And so Branson understands that he never gets punished, but there's always consequences for choices in our life. And he chooses his own consequences. And so we talk every single day. We're playing. We have time limits on the iPad. We play outside. We do our laundry. We eat a certain time. We do all of those things. And he understands the rules of what's there. But he also understands that when things get off or he has a bad day and he makes a mistake, that there's consequences. But we don't determine the consequences. He does. And so what we ask him is like, let's say he gets upset and he throws his iPad, which has happened quite a few times. And so I don't take the iPad away. We turn the iPad off and we sit down and we have a conversation. And we talk about, hey, buddy, like, how are you feeling? What's happening in your body? And he'll tell me, I'm like, why do you think that happened? Or why are you so upset? He's like, Bowman, I said, and Bob, do you understand that there's consequences. What would you like those consequences to be? And nine out of 10 times, his consequences for himself are greater than anyone that I could ever do it. And then I'm like, amazing, so let's do that. And immediately his energy shifts, he gets excited to go play. And then we play something completely different because instead of telling him what was gonna happen and pushing him into doing something, I enrolled him in the conversation and helped him come up with a solution with me, which made him a part of the process. And so I do this at my events as well. I do this when my coach, I do this all the time. But what we're really, really doing is we're creating a two-way relationship because asking makes us an equal. It creates a container of safety because before anybody can change their mind, they have to feel safe. And typically people don't feel safe when they're being talked at or talked down upon. So remember that the second way is to focus on asking and not telling, okay? Number three, what is the third way to eliminate reactants? And this one, this one is beautiful. This one is about highlighting a gap. So people strive for internal consistency. They want their attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors to align. Someone who says they care about the environment tries to reduce their carbon footprint. Someone who preaches the virtue of honesty tries not to tell lies. Consequently, when attitudes and behaviors conflict, people get uncomfortable. And to reduce this discomfort, or what scientists call cognitive dissonance, people take steps to breathe things back into line. And so when highlighting such dissonance and bringing it to the fore, the forefront, it encourages people to not only see the discord, but also work to resolve it. And so what that means is asking questions or creating a conversation that actually highlights the difference between where somebody thinks they are and where they want to go. And you see this all the time. You see this in really effective advertising. You see this in really affecting marketing. Sometimes you hear it in this podcast. I am quite sure that I've said things on this podcast and broken them down. And you're like, oh, I thought I was doing that and I'm not doing that. 
And so then I give a path to do it. But what that did is it created and highlighted a gap for you that collapsed dissonance so that you realized your accurate current state. And then you weren't upset. You actually got excited to close that gap to pursue what you want to be your new current state. And so that is highlighting the gap. And then the fourth way that you can eliminate reactants is to start with understanding. Before people will change, they have to be willing to listen. They have to trust the person they're communicating with. And until that happens, no amount of persuasion is going to work. Seasoned negotiators, for example, don't start with what they want. They start with whom they want to change, working to gain insight into where that person is coming from, comprehending and appreciating the person's situation, feelings, and motives, and showing them that someone else understands. And so starting with understanding diffuses anti-persuasion radar by making sure the other side gets a chance to say their piece. And so you hear me say this all the time, in order for somebody to buy, in order for somebody to opt in, in order for somebody to change, they have to feel seen, heard, and understood, which means they have to be in a space where they are psychologically safe to be willing to answer or to hear you to then engage in a relationship, right? And so if we go all the way back up to the beginning of this, that means we have the logical appeal, the emotional appeal, the ethical appeal, and then the narrative appeal. But the ethos, the ethical appeal, you come across as credible, you know your stuff, you're trustworthy, and you come across as trustworthy, you do not seek to mislead. And that can only be done by starting with understanding, by building a relationship. And so you guys hear me talk all the time about relationships beats algorithms and that you have to build a relationship before a transaction. And I'm telling you scientifically what's been proven and that we've known for thousands and thousands of years of how to relate to humanity. And the truth is, is that that's the only way to do business and marketing effectively. And so in this book, The Catalyst, which if you are not enrolled in reading this book now or reading it again, I don't have any hope for you. I have no chance for you because I don't know what's missing because this thing is a PhD in how to achieve everything that you wanted. But when you think about his acronym, REDUCE, you have reactance, which is step one. And so think about all the marketing you see. Think about all the stuff that you see. Let's say, think about the videos that you hear and you hear people saying things and they're like, well, you do it this way and you do it this way. And in your body and in your brain, you're like, no, I don't. I've never done it that way. Does that make you want to move closer to that person and enroll or subscribe? Or does it push you further away and makes you want to run the other direction? That's called reactance, right? Or if you ever bought a course, a program, a coach, and then when you get on a call, they start talking at you and you feel unseen, misunderstood. Nowhere in there have you ever been like, oh my God, I loved being talked down to. I loved being ostracized. I loved being gaslit. No, it creates this response of reactance in your body that literally triggers fight or flight that makes you want to run. And so reactance is the first barrier to actually changing anybody's mind in your messaging, in your marketing, in your videos, in your conversations, if you're showing up in a way that the immediate response on the other side is that people feel unsafe or they feel triggered, you'll never accomplish your goal. But the inverse is, is that now that you understand it and you understand what reactance is, there's four easy ways to do it. And so the way that I would say it is I didn't say these in order, but number one is you have to start with understanding. Relationships start with understanding. They have to be two-way. 
Remember, I define marketing as a two-way long-term value-based relationship. And so if you start with understanding and your lens is, I really seek to understand this person. And then you go and you ask people some questions instead of telling them. And then through the answers of those questions, you're able to highlight a gap where they think they are, but where they really are. And then you provide a menu. All of a sudden, you have just been the mirror or the catalyst for them to take a chance or take a step in a different direction. So when I gave you the four ways to solve reactants, I apologize, I did not put them in order, but here's how I would prioritize them in doing this in your business, in your life, in your conversations, in with your kids, in with your spouse, in with your coworkers, in with your team. Number one, you need to start with understanding for you. You need to be compassionate and empathetic and ask yourself who is on the other side of what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say. And then the second part, once I know who is there, what questions can I ask? What can I do to extract the information that will help me lead them or highlight them where they are and where they want to go so that when that is complete, I can insert a solution. And so if any of you have ever added me as a friend on Facebook, you've seen me do this. You send me a friend request, and I talked about this in the previous podcast on customer journey. You send me a friend request, and I accept it. And then the first thing I do is I send you a video and a message asking you what you need, what you're doing, how I can help you, what's getting in the way, if there's any points in your business, how you found me. It depends on the question I ask. But all I do is ask you a couple questions. Simply, like, oh, my God, thank you so much for the ad. I'm so excited to have you, but I don't believe in hoarding relationships. Instead. I like to have real relationships with the people that are in my world so that I can serve and or support them. And so why did you add my slice of crazy? That's basically what I said. And they do a couple things. They respond like, oh my God, I found you through here. This is why I added you. I'm like, incredible. And now I'm like, oh, I'm building a relationship and I genuinely care. And so then I ask them, what's your business? Like now that you found me, why did you add me? Is there anything that I can help you with? Like, do you have any roadblocks or struggles in your business? And then typically they'll tell me exactly what it is. I feel stuck like this. I don't know where to get leads. I don't know why my emails aren't getting open. I'm struggling with my messaging. And those questions help me understand how to provide a solution. And I'm like, oh my God, Jane, that is incredible. You have so much clarity. From what I hear, what I would recommend is reading the book, The Catalyst, and then implementing into your business while you listen to these two podcasts. And when you're done, shoot me a message and I'll see if I can help anymore. And I send a book recommendation in two of my podcasts but I followed every single one of these steps in every single interaction that I do. And so this book is one of the most powerful books that you will ever read as an entrepreneur, no matter what you do, as long as you have a client or ever want to have a client, this book will benefit you. So the book is called The Catalyst by Jonah Berger. And today was part one, we covered reactants. We covered reactants in today. So in the next episodes, we're gonna be covering endowment, how to ease endowment, how to shrink distance, how to alleviate uncertainty, and how to find collaborating evidence. But today, you got part one of the puzzle. And so I would challenge you to go look at your business, look at your areas of your life, look at your relationships, look at your team, look at your coworkers, look everywhere, and figure out where you can use these principles in your toolbox to actually eliminate reactants and help empower those around you to achieve what it is that they want to achieve and you're going to help them achieve. And I'm going to take a sip of coffee. So with all that being said, that's all I got for today's episode. 
So like I said earlier, uh, you're my army, you're my people. And I have been pretty quiet about it. So here's the deal. I intend to keep giving away everything on this podcast. I'm going to give you all of me. I probably burnt a thousand calories today on calls and on podcasts, but here's what I need you to do. Movements don't move themselves. They move with the people that are in them. I genuinely need your help because I need you to help share this show. I need you to send the podcast out. I need you to subscribe. I need you to leave a review and I need you to help me find more people to listen to our show. And when that happens, it continues to move. We move the needle and we head in the right direction. And so that is my selfish ask of you because if I don't ask, then you can't receive. So please send it out. And when you do, when you share it, please tag me so I can encourage you. I can share it and I can build a relationship with you. But for that, for today, that is the entire episode. So remember that relationships will always beat algorithms. So I'll either see you in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, I'm out. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.